Time for seafood news. Hello, hello. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Seafood News Managing Editor, Amanda Buckle. And I'm Erner Berry Market Reporter, Lauren Castiglione. This week's episode is brought to you by Erner Berry's Comtel. Ernerberry continues to build upon the value Comtel offers customers with new features and improvements consistently being added to the platform. We are excited to announce three new widgets for the Comtel dashboard designed to increase efficiency and expand on the amount of information available right on the homepage. The addition of these new features will enable Comtel subscribers to capitalize on market intelligence without having to leave the dashboard. This package of new features includes just a few of the many enhancements that Ernaberry is planning to release moving forward. So we have a really, really good podcast for you this week. That's right. We've got not one, not two. Okay, yes, we have two interviews for you this week. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, like, did I miss one? It's been a busy week. Um, you know, we had uh, actually our executive conference on Global Protein Summit this week. Yeah, it was a very exciting week in the yeah, office here. It was, yeah, we actually had a lot more people in because not everyone's come back since COVID. Um, so we saw a lot of uh, familiar faces all masked up. And uh, and I tell you, the content from the executive conference was fantastic. Top notch. So if you did register, everything is on demand right now. You can, you know, rewatch live sessions. Yeah. Um, Watch it from your couch. Watch it while you're laying in bed, having yeah. some potato chips. Great, great show. Um, but in between all that great executive conference coverage, we also sat down for phone interviews with Celeste LaRue of the Virgil Group and Aaron Kellenberg of Wild Alaskan Company. But before we get to those interviews, let's talk about some of the big stories of the past week, like the recent aggression from the Russian military in the U.S. exclusive economic zone in the Bering Sea. Yeah, this is such a crazy story. So it really begins in late August when the Russian military, including destroyers and submarines and warplanes, yes, descended on the fishing grounds in the U.S. EEZ in an operation called Ocean Shield. We have heard a little bit about it, but now a recent testimony from Stephanie Madsen, the executive director of the At Sea Processors Association, reveals some shocking and scary details. Yeah. So Madsen was supposed to deliver her testimony at a hearing of the Subcommittee on Security in the Senate Committee on Commerce, Transportation, and Science on September 22nd. Um, the hearing would have been chaired by Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan, but it's been postponed indefinitely. Fortunately for us, Madsen's testimony has been released online. So it goes, Tuesday, August 25th, provided the first indication that it would not be a typical week for our fleets, Madsen began in her testimony. The Island Enterprise, a catcher processor vessel operated by Trident Seafoods, was fishing in the vicinity of the Pervinets Canyon when suddenly, without warning, a large submarine that we later learned to be an Oscar-class Russian nuclear submarine surfaced in the vicinity. Shortly thereafter, a warship appeared, traveling at 17.5 knots on direct course towards the submarine. The warship made no contact with the Island Enterprise, but came within 2.5 nautical miles. Other vessels also observed the submarine and warship that day. They, uh, these were our first clues that a major Russian military operation was underway smack dab in the middle of our fishing grounds. Just imagine being out on the water and just and just seeing that. Yeah, and being like, oh, a whale. Oh, that's not a whale. <laughs> this is a Russian warship in yeah. the submarine. Yeah. So uh, Madsen's testimony said that the close and unexplained proximity of a foreign warship and submarine were immediately troubling and things only escalated the next day. Madsen wrote that on August 26th, the Russian military initiated a series of confrontations with U.S. flagged fishing vessels 
that were, from their perspective, dangerous and completely unacceptable. She wrote that these confrontations gave uh, rise to genuine fears for the safety of captains and their crews, and in some cases led to operational decisions that cost companies hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost fishing opportunities. And her testimony continued, in the first such incident, the Northern Jaeger, a catcher processor vessel operated by American Seafoods, was harassed by members of the Russian military over the course of approximately five hours. Northern Jaeger captain Tim Thomas was positioned 21 nautical miles inside the U.S. EEZ when what he recognized to be a Russian military warplane started flying over his vessel. The warplane initiated radio contact and through broken English started to deliver an alarming drumbeat of messages warning of danger and insisting that he leave as it continued to fly over the vessel at an incredibly low altitude. Like This needs to be made into a movie. Exactly, right? So despite his best efforts, which included enlisting the assistance of a Russian-speaking member of his crew, he was unable to ascertain from the warplane a clear sense of what was happening or to learn of any uh, specific course of action that was being requested of him. During this period, Captain Thomas repeatedly stated that he was operating lawfully within the U.S. EEZ and couldn't be ordered to leave. He also initiated multiple conversations with United States Coast Guard personnel, none of which whom appeared to be aware of a major Russian military exercise that was underway in the U.S. EEZ. That's the scary part. Yeah, like, how do you not know that? Unless they couldn't, like, you know, reveal that they knew. Maybe they had to, like, keep something under wraps. But I don't understand why that would be No, I mean, that's, you know, protecting the the safety of our people, you know. Just conspiracy theories all down. Yes. Um, So Peggy Parker, our science and sustainability editor, uh, she wrote up a great in-depth piece. So, you know, we only touched on you know, the, the very minimal of the story. So yeah. if you want like, to learn more, you got to check it out. On her and stories. like Amanda said, it is like you're reading a movie script. It's insane. Yeah. The full testimony is, is something I, I highly recommend. Yeah. But like I said, it's on seafood news on our featured story. So check it out. Uh, in other news, August shrimp imports set an all time record. Uh, August shrimp imports hit just over 181 million pounds, which is 17.2% higher than last year's nearly 153.7 million pounds. All the top five trade partners contribute to the gains. Positive year-over-year imports were seen from India, Ecuador, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Thailand. The pace of Ecuador continued to astonish despite the tailwinds associated with trade uh, patterns in the current environment. Argentina and Saudi Arabia continue to be newsworthy, with the latter now 360% higher through August compared to last year. The year-to-date total sits over 1 billion pounds, outpacing last year by 6.4%. In terms of product form, the U.S. imported more headless shalon, which includes easy peel, peeled, and cooked, but less breaded. Now, let's roll our interview with Celeste LaRue. Celeste is the president and CEO of the Virgil Group. She studied biology as an undergraduate and marine biology as a master's student at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Celeste has 11 years of experience advancing environmental policy in Washington, D.C. with the federal government. She works extensively with advocates, business, Congress, the U.S. and foreign governments, and donors to advance science-based policies that further responsible Arctic development, promote aquaculture and trade, protect natural resources and ecosystems, and combat climate change, among other things. As Deputy Associate Director for Ocean and Coastal Policy at the White House Council on Environmental Quality, Celeste oversaw the President Task Force on Combating Illegal, Unreported, and Unregulated Fishing and Seafood Fraud and led all aspects of development and implementation of the U.S. Seafood Import Monitoring Program from 2016 to 2020. I mean, let's just give that girl a round of applause (laughs) at first. 
Jeez, that is so impressive. Quite the resume. Yes. So, let's take a listen. Hi, Celeste. Thanks for joining the Seafood News Podcast. So, this was a pretty big year for you. You launched the Virgil Group. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that the company is doing with seafood trade and traceability? Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I did start this company right at the beginning of the pandemic in April, and we are focused on helping support seafood trade and traceability in the ways that I know how. My background has been in setting up a regulatory program for seafood imports, and I saw that it's an extremely uh, difficult program to implement in some ways, and I'd like to do what I can to make it easier on industry. So we are providing regular services like audit support, supplier vetting, um, looking at your supply chains if that's something of interest. But what we're really excited about is that we're focused on building software that will help reduce the potential risk of illegal seafood and supply chains. Wow. Okay. So that's, I mean, this is everything that, you know, people in seafood need to know. And, and we worked together previously uh, through Erner Berry's Seafood Import Workshops. And I think I told you this before, but, you know, we're very lucky that you left NOAA and that you're, <laughs> that you're still working in seafood just because you brought so much knowledge to our, our workshops and, you know, the questions that everyone had for you afterwards. I mean, it was knowledge you have is invaluable. So this is really uh, an exciting project that you got going on then. Yeah, thank you. I really loved going to the Ernerberry workshops and, and having the opportunity to engage with industry in the U.S. and around the world in implementing uh, the Seafood Import Monitoring Program. What we're focused on doing now really stems from a lot of what I learned from Ernerberry's events, which is that it's extremely difficult for somebody like a customs broker or an importer to intuitively somehow know that the seafood that they're purchasing, even if it is traceable, came from a fishery that was actually legal. It would require a wealth of information about fisheries management and current laws and open seasons to be able to make that kind of determination. And I can see how that can be extremely stressful and uh, frustrating for industry. So I'm hoping we can create a very simple automated solution that would be able to tell a buyer, importer, anyone on the supply chain, listen, this looks good or this may be problematic. Take a look at these one or two things in the supply chain and, and you know, have a closer look at that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds invaluable. Now, uh, the Virgil Group was also recently announced as one of the 14 startup companies to win the Ocean Startup Challenge, which is a a Canadian-based competition designed to support innovators who are developing technologies that can be applied to large ocean challenges. Um, Can you tell us about what the Virgil Group is working on there? Yeah, so that was very exciting. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would find myself applying to blue tech accelerators, but... I did, and I'm equally stunned that we won. Um, And we were the only international company selected to win this challenge, which is an extra special honor. Our proposal for the Ocean Startup Challenge was the software development project. So in winning the competition, we will receive a nominal amount of prize money, but really it helps support us with ongoing development training, and leadership support from the Ocean Startup 
challenge in Canada's ocean supercluster. Uh, technically, I'll have to register my business in Canada, which is going to be interesting. So I have now to become a, from a tiny domestic company to a tiny international company. Um, but I'm really looking forward to engaging with all of the other winners and leadership of that program. I am just amazed by the open-hearted, kind emotions that I'm getting from all of these partners that are involved in the ocean tech sector. Nobody else is working in quite the same field as I am. A lot of them are in robotics or ocean detection systems, and I just love expanding my mind into these new areas. That's great. Well, congratulations. It seems like there's a lot of big things on the horizon for the Virgil Group, so you'll definitely be something uh, or a company that everyone's going to want to keep an eye on. So you can, uh, write, we can learn more about your company and people can reach you through uh, virgilgroup.com. Yes. Uh, and I forgot, I, there's one more thing I wanted to mention that we just put on our website today. One of our interns, Kyle Harrison, has created a tool that really was inspired from my engagement with Erna Berry that will support brokers in their entry filing process for customs. We know that there's a requirement to put in the ocean area for seafood harvest, and it can be difficult to find the FAO designated ocean area and the exclusive economic zone code. So if you go to our website, virgilgroup.com, and just search for our ocean area finder, our fishing area finder, you can go ahead and on a Google map, either enter a latitude and longitude or click anywhere on that map, and you, you will automatically get the accurate exclusive economic zone and FAO ocean area code, which I hope will help brokers with their entry filing moving forward. That's great. Thank you so much, Les, for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And finally, we were fortunate enough to connect with Aaron Kellenberg, the founder of the Wild Alaskan Company, a monthly seafood program that ships wild-caught fish from sustainably managed fisheries in Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Let's take another listen. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for joining the Seafood News Podcast. Happy day. Happy to be here. So, Aaron, why don't you give us a backstory about the Wild Alaskan Company? You actually have a, a pretty interesting background, I think, uh, is pretty unique to the seafood industry. Sure, yeah. I mean, my personal background, uh, I'm a third-generation commercial fisherman uh, out of Alaska. I'm actually calling in from Homer, Alaska right now, my hometown. Uh, my grandfather started fishing in Bristol Bay in a wooden sailboat in the 1920s. My dad grew up fishing with my grandfather. I grew up fishing with my dad. Um, and so, you know, my entire childhood and young adult life was in the seafood industry. As an adult, I spent two, nearly two decades in the tech industry. And the Wild Alaskan Company, wildalaskan.com, is a direct consumer monthly seafood membership service. Uh, we provide uh, our members, and we call them members, not customers, with a box of wild-caught uh, sustainable seafood from Alaska and the Pacific Northwest once a month or as frequently as they would like it. Um, and the company is essentially just a dovetail of my two passions, the Alaska seafood industry and um, the technology space. That's great. So there's, there was no escaping seafood for you. It's just in your blood. It kind of lured you back in. Lured is, is the perfect word. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it definitely did. Um, you know, I was working in the tech industry, um, and starting the company was actually something that you know, we did about three years ago. Uh, it, you know, I call it a three-generation overnight success. 
because, you know, jumping back into the family business always has a lot of connotation. You know, it's it's scary. And I was, you know, making good money in the tech industry. So why would I want to go into seafood? And of all things, I, you know, turn to my wife and say, I'm going to sell frozen fish on the Internet. You know, luckily, I have a very supporting wife. But essentially, it just got to the point where I was going to kick myself for the rest of my life if I didn't try to do this. Because we talked about a direct-to-consumer program, you know, in my family for so many years. And finally, the fear of uh, not trying it superseded the, the fear of failure, and uh, we started selling fish on the internet. That's great. Now, you guys were founded in 2017, correct? That's correct. So, did you foresee a pandemic happening <laughs> a couple of years down the line where you know you would be, you know? selling a fish online and something that people, you know, obviously people wanted this before, but you know, now you have a different customer base. Did you find that once the pandemic hit, like what did COVID do for the wild Alaskan company? We definitely did not predict a global pandemic. Um, you know, in, in, in retrospect, uh, you know, I tried 2020, um, you know, I, I think that generally we have a pretty conservative approach to our business. We're always trying to build in redundancy, uh, specifically with our supply chain and our fulfillment network, which is quite large. And also we've invested heavily in the software that powers that um, supply chain. So we were in a, a good position to accommodate increased demand for online orders, but there was no way that we could have we could have predicted it. So, um, you know, once this all hit, like, was it an immediate, like, overnight? Did you all of a sudden see, you know, memberships increasing or your customers, you know, trying to, like, stockpile, you know, more? Or did you have to, like, reach out and even just tell your customers, like, you know, there's not going to be a shortage? Because I know that was something that we were covering a lot. Maybe not, you know, on the seafood side of things, but, you know, you definitely saw stockpiling and people panicking about, you know, running out of proteins. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I think with seafood, selling seafood online, you know, in, in a global pandemic, and obviously it's, it's been a, a global tragedy, tragedy uh, you know, and Wild Alaskan is happy to be part of the solution, um, you know, but um, I felt like people woke up and said, hey, I'm going to order more seafood. I think generally the sentiment was they didn't know what was happening. And so, uh, you know, food sources in general were in demand. But that's not really, you know, in the seafood sector, Internet sales, what we really benefited from. Uh, you know, you probably know this. There was actually an increased demand for retail seafood during the same time period, especially in the early days of COVID. And so if anything, on the production side, we were competing with the big box retailers for production capacity. Alaska, thank God, didn't have, um, you know, supply issues, but there was, um, you know, the hint of a bottleneck for production. Um, and what, you know, so the, the story here is people were still going to the store and buying seafood. So why did they also go online? The big thing is we do, we're very aggressive online internet advertisers. Um, that's my background is uh, data-driven marketing. And what you saw in the early days of COVID was you saw a real reduction in demand for online advertising. It wasn't from, you know, competitors in the protein sp spaces. It was just e-commerce in general was having so many supply disruptions that a lot of the advertisers that we normally buy advertising against, you know, in other verticals in e-commerce 
were not able to advertise because they had supply disruption. So we saw most of the members that joined our service during that time, I maintain, were members that would have ultimately purchased seafood at some time. Uh, it just would have cost us a lot more money to get in front of them. And because so few e-commerce companies were advertising, we really benefited from that um, dislocation of demand for uh, uh, you know for for ad inventory. So it, it's, there's a little bit of nuance there. Okay. And uh, you know, looking towards the future now, you guys uh, are seeing some growth. I mean, just uh, this past week on CB News, we covered uh, an expansion of your leadership team. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Wild Alaskan at the beginning of the year was right around 20 employees. Um, we've, we've scaled up to accommodate the, the increased membership base. We're, we're pushing 50 employees now. Um, so we've added, um, we made a concerted effort to add um, executive leadership to the team. Uh, we brought on Seth Hoppy. She's a former VP um, at 7-Eleven. So an incredible amount of retail marketing space, uh, marketing experience, um, you know, in-store, but also parlaying that into digital. Some of the initiatives she did there were really impressive. We brought on uh, Daniel Creedon as director of operations with experience in other direct-to-consumer um, food companies such as Daily Harvest. Um, and uh, we also, you know, it's not as recent news, but we recently also um, hired Jennifer Keith, which is the former director of procurement at Red Lobster. She has, you know, nearly two decades of experience in Alaska seafood buying. So we're, we're really happy to have all of these incredibly talented individuals joining joining our team. Special thanks to Celeste LaRue of the Virgil Group and Aaron Kellenberg for jumping on the Seafood News podcast. Yes, thank you to them both. And thanks for listening to everyone and see you back here next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>